In a land far away, once upon a time, Brendan, Vicky B, partners in crime. We danced through life like, like a couple of gays. But as time went by, we went our separate ways. Now we're back together, talking about whatever. Talking about the music that, that we, we love forever. Hooking you up like a telephone jack. Everybody listen up, we're getting back on track. Welcome to Back on Track. Hey, Brendan. Hey, Vicky. Yeah, this is Back on Track, the show that takes you headfirst through our generation's big gay experience through the celebration of music and pop culture. That sounds like a mouthful. Oh, honey. <laughs> um, I'm so excited for today's episode. Huge show today. This Huge is going to be really great. This is really near and dear to our hearts. So um, for those of you who've been listening, we just uh, finished the uh, last episode with Janet, which was a great retrospective, great conversation. One of the things we touched on is just the power of her movement and her visual storytelling as being a key component of the experience of Janet. Yeah, this show we'd really like to jump off and talking about two amazing female artists that were able to sort of bridge uh, the singer-dancer uh, thing that we've gone through all our lives. Or dancer-singer, as dancer, the case singer. may be. Right, taking, <laughs> taking, you know, creating pop cultural moments through movement. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. I think that it's, it's, it's difficult in our culture because you have really, really talented performers who can really convey, you know, a message and tell a story with their bodies and through space. And, and that doesn't really always get to, that doesn't end up being the thing that creates the star. Yeah. You've got to add in that component of the voice. Yeah. And I mean, with shows like So You Think You Can Dance and Dancing with the Stars, now we're experiencing a little bit more of people appreciating just individual dancers. But back in the day. They appreciate it, but I don't think that they're getting the same the kind of acclaim. The voice isn't being heard the way that it no. should be. And yeah, so these two chicks that we're talking about, Paula Abdul and J-Lo... <laughs> Hello. Have been able to have been able to sort of transcend that, right? They really have. And there's definitely others, but these two have some really interesting parallels, I think, around how they were, you know, brought up through the world of artistry and what they have to offer and how they played the game. Yeah, totally. Well, they they've been raised in the world of dance and have been able to transition into musical artists and then beyond that as pop cultural figures, but they had their roots in dance. And Brendan and I used to be dancers, so it's very near and dear to our hearts and our sort of journey through life, right? Absolutely. 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 I mean, I think that, you know, so often as dancers, we're told to, you know, be silent, take direction and, um, you know, not to use your your voice at all. And so it's really powerful when you have people come forth who, who want to, you know, push it out there and bring it all forward. Yeah, going from being like a sort of backup dancer following somebody else's lead to, to taking the microphone and yeah. put it out, out into the universe what you have to say. You know, it's a really, really poignant experience for a dancer. Have you had a moment uh, being a dancer, Vic, where you felt like you got to sort of let your voice shine that felt really exciting? Well, I, I think that I've used drag in the past as, as a sort of vehicle for my opinions, my points of view on things. I've taken what I learned from choreography, from, from technique, and from watching artists like Paula and Janet and, um, and J-Lo to create these performances. So yeah, that's, that's sort of how I've done it. And I can totally see the blueprint for how stuff like this happens. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think we should dive right in. Well, we've got a lot to say. I want. Well, let's start chronologically, right? I think that I sounds think we good. should start where it all started. Where it all started for me <laughs> it was Paul Abdul. Wait. What? I have an go. even better fun fact that I almost forgot. Yeah. So go. one other cosmic connection, one yeah. other great theme that brings all of this together today is, and we'll get into these tracks specifically, but both Paula Abdul and Jennifer Lopez debuted their debut singles off of their debut albums on my birthday. Word! Amazing, that right? That is serendipity, darling. I mean, that is a sign from the heavens. The planets were aligned. The universe is sending me a signal. The dancer and gods, I'm receiving. Bob Fosse is like, bless you, <laughs> and go forth. Yeah. That's amazing. I know. I find it very affirming that mm-hmm. they um, took such great um, steps in their own lives as I was taking steps in mine. Paula and Taylor <laughs> bringing, you know, bringing the dancer kids together across generations. So, really, Paula's beginning as when, we, when we're talking about the singer, Mm-hmm. Uh, really starts on May 4th in 1988. But 
let's talk about how we got there. Yeah, so she used to be, Polly was, you know, was a dancer for a long time. She's a really small, really short girl. I, anybody that's ever seen her, they're always taken aback by how short she is. She was a Laker girl. She got into the forefront doing choreography for the Lakers. The Lakers started having these, the Laker girl started having these amazing routines. She was noticed. She got picked up doing choreography for Duran Duran. She did Coming to America. To she, cut in real quick, also, I mean, really, her work with the Laker girls, they were the first, like, uh, sports team of um you know, cheer or dance or whatever you yeah. call it that really uh, achieved some notoriety for just the great work they were doing. Totally, totally, yeah. And now you know you've got you've got teams all over the place. Your right. cheerleader cheerleading itself has come into has come into its own. You know, with the competitions and the you know, the dance teams now, the artistry involved, and Paul's even been able to do her own reality TV show. Um, so, a couple of those, yeah, a couple of, <laughs> right, right. Well, it's interesting that she entered into it vocally with um, with. Uh, American Idol, but right. then she, but then was able to come back home with yeah. some of the the dance reality shows that she's guested on. Yeah, and there's you know there's a, there's some yeah there's some uh, coming back home for sure. Right. Well, we owe a lot to her we for do. dance to to have entered itself back into our entertainment and to getting the respect and the admiration that it deserves. And you know what? I think despite some of the um you know some of the things that have been difficult for Paula and the way that I think the general public can kind of perceive her as of late, mm-hmm. I think that the industry really does respect what she's done. I think people who know. No, no. Yeah, well, she's had a lot of she's had a lot of influence and touched a lot of people behind the scenes, and that th- that's been able to come through over the years for her. Yeah, you know that she's got a she's got a foundation of being a choreographer. A choreographer is a director. They're you know they, they they control the space. They you know they they figure out what works with people and what works with the elements and and synthesizes them and styles them in such a way where you can make somebody look. I mean, she created the, you know. Like, Janet Jackson. Absolutely. And you know, people, I think think a lot of the public has a perception that she's an idiot and she's a kook. And, you know, just, you can't be successful the way she, you know, was without um, being a really, really intelligent and um, perceptive and strong person. Well, I can say, absolutely 100% agree. And I can say that she started it all for me. When when these videos from the Forever Your Girl album came out in, Mm -hmm. you know, starting in the 80s and 88, um, um, the, those things caught my eye as something new, something different, using technical dance in a way that I had never seen it before. So let's dive into a track. Yeah, what's yeah, what's no. the one from that Forever Your Girl moment that really hits you? Well, okay, so the one that got me, grabbed me initially was Cold Hearted. He's a cold hearted snake, was the pirouettes and the scaffolding, which I found out later on to be a play on Take Off With Us from the Bob Fosse movie All That Jazz. Um, so all of a sudden, I thought she was taking fashion tips from Axl Rose with like the captain's hat and things like that. I didn't realize that that was a nod to the Take Off world. With Us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, <laughs> it's funny because scaffolding had been a thing before <laughs> and then she certainly made it a thing. And then after that, I, I mean, I think everybody who's, you know, either gone to a dance concert uh, and by that I mean uh, you know a jazz dance concert or something like that, mm-hmm. um, or who grew up as a dancer. You've all been on the scaffold. Yep. Yeah. You, you know, and all the touring artists now have jungle gems on their stages. They're doing parkour. Yeah. You know, they're doing backflips and sliding down poles and things like that. And I, I, you can't say that Paula started it, but she certainly had a way of taking what she knew from from Fosse and from things. You know, I think that, she brought it to pop in a way. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I think she didn't invent it, but I think she 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 re uh, reapplied it. Yeah. Well, you know. She won an Emmy for the performance of The Way That You Love Me mm-hmm. from, I think it was the 1990 uh, American Music Awards, a mm-hmm. real, you know, extended version of that single, which was her initial single from that album um, after Knocked Out. Knocked Out was a sort of tester single. Yeah. So let, can we can we do, go in chronological order? Or? Sure. Yeah, so Knocked Out was a sort of tester single that she recorded in 87. You have Babyface and L.A. Reid. They're famous for having worked with TLC, Tony Braxton, Whitney, Madonna, everybody at the time. They were making this sort of new jack swing music with Bobby Brown, Karen White, Pebbles, and Shana Easton. And um, they helped her cut her new single, 
Um, she was trying to get her. She was trying to get her feet on the ground as a dancer. Trying to get her foot in the door. It was pretty low budget single, from what yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, they were yeah. just kind of sort of testing the waters with it to see, and, you know, and it really only co- sort of charted initially on the R and B charts. And mm-hmm. I guess rumor has it that she was kind of rough around the edges. She wasn't really comfortable with her vocal abilities in his studio. And the, I, I've heard that these guys were sort of less than th- less than enthused with compared to the caliber of people that they had been working with previously. Um, they didn't really want to spend as much. time time with her to be able to finesse and and take the time to get out of their out of her what they wanted you know yep. she was a dancer yeah you know what i mean uh, but yeah, this single was set as a low budget release to to test her commercial appeal, and it wound up only charting at number ten on R and B. I think way lower on the on the on the Hot 100. It was you know forties, fifties, or you're probably yeah. right. You're probably right. And you know, to be honest with you, I didn't even know about it. I no. didn't even I didn't even see her until Straight Up came out. Well, let's go back to Cold Hearted. Which was the second single? Uh, the way that you love me. Oh, yeah. The way. That, so I love this song. I performed it in drag like twice. The way that you love me. It was written actually by Oliver Lieber, the son of Jerry Lieber of uh, Lieber and Stoller, and it was an attempt at following up Knocked Out. Um, you know, Knocked Out was sort of like a grainy video set on one of those hotel ballroom dance floors that you and I know a lot about dancing. You know, rehearsals <laughs> and then me. The like, dance competitions are always hosted on these sort of hotel ballroom floors, right? Yeah. Um, I even, as a kid, I mean, I would take dance classes in a community center on, like, a ballroom floor. That's yeah. how I trained. <laughs> we, listen, we know all about dancing on those. And so it was really funny and really fitting from a dancer perspective that that initial video for Knocked Out was filmed on one of those floors. Mm-hmm. But now moving into the way that you love me, we've got a little bit more of a sophisticated cohesion with the choreography moving into the video being the focus. Um, and like I said, the original version was written, well, the whole song was written by Oliver Lieber. I guess um Oliver was the sort of he was the the, the antidote the 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 salve on the ointment for that first experience with the initial single um getting into the studio with her you know Paula was a little bit meek after recording the last single and the folks of the record company were concerned about him connecting with her because he was supportive and he was patient with her mm-hmm. do you know what i mean um, and he was trying to get a start of his own, right? He wanted to break away from his father's legacy and write pop music. And it just so happens that he was working with this guy, St. Paul, who was in Prince's band, The Family. Mm-hmm. Um, the Family uh, also headed by by St. Paul and Susanna, um, who is Wendy's sister from The Revolution, just to give us a little bit of context. They, they were famous for having come out with the song Nothing Compares to You. Initially, it was the family song before Sinead O'Connor. Oh, really? Got. Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. I so had no idea. So there was idea. this band called The Family, and okay. St. Saint Paul was the dude. Anyway, it was St. Paul wow, that, that was the connection. Wow, that would have changed history quite a bit. She, he's the one that passed along the tape to Oliver, and that's how they got along to be okay. able to work together. Um you know, she loved Minneapolis funk. Um, she had just worked with Jan- Janet, who was produced by Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis at the time. So you've got this Prince connection, all these Prince p- connections yep. bouncing off. And so, and you were, can hear that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, And she, this was a sort of direction in, the, in her wheelhouse that she was, like, wanting to work in. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? So this guy, Oliver Lee, was completely unknown. He had never produced anything before, but he was eager to make a on his own and make a name for himself and he actually went on to create some of her biggest hits for across a span of albums yeah so they really helped each other out the two of these guys absolutely how did you feel about the way that you love me when it came out oh my god well I don't know that I remember it from like when it came out probably because yeah. I feel like we were I was I was pretty young um, <laughs> <laughs> I was you know a little four year old um, but uh, but no that music was ended up being the music of my childhood so I sort of absorbed all of it I feel like as I was growing up but the mm-hmm. way that you love me was just um, a blast I mean that really is so much of the Paula um, early stuff it was um it was fun. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it just was, was such a blast. fun. There was such a strong visual, too, that came with it. Yeah. You know, the, the, the men's wear, the suit jackets, the hairsprayed hair, um, all these silhouettes that she, that she I don't know, think she necessarily created them, but she definitely helped bring out to the forefront. The, you know, the bustiers, the character shoes, that you know, going along with the tap Absolutely. dancing. And, and she really, like, uh, especially in the beginning, she really defined what her sort of look and, and vibe was going to be. And there were really, um, that was, strong and clear. Yeah, well, and that's what she got the Emmy Award. So she took the single mm-hmm. The Way That You Love Me. It was the opening number for the um, for the American Music Awards that year, the extended version. Um, that original music video, before the re-release, after 
people got the message and picked up Head of, um, sorry, uh, Forever Your Girl, mm-hmm. they re-released it and redid the video all high fashion yes. and beauty shots. Yes. But the original one was just a long cut of the choreography, which I love, and I've I've admittedly ripped off like extensively, sure. just because it's so awesome. Well, and it was so nice to see you know technical jazz dance being put forth into the world mm-hmm. in in such a nice way. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Can I say that one of the dancers that was in her crew for the, the American Music Awards performance, this guy Dominic Lucero, okay. who he, he passed away tragically, um, but he was one of the dancers for Roundhouse. Have you ever seen oh that movie gosh. Roundhouse? And he was in Newsies. Wow. So, th- so my I would always go to this guy whenever I would see him in the, in these dance performances in that era, would mm-hmm. go to this guy Dominic because he's really cute, like really dark yeah. and handsome. Amazing technique, amazing pirouettes. People were do- doing leap and turns and you had to have tap jazz training to to roll with Paula in this in this era you had to be versatile you had to be able to turn it out yeah so I just wanted to give a quick shout out to him because as a male dancer watching him behind her really inspired me that's amazing. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So you know the way that you love you was was a smash. I love the remix. It's called the House of Fire edit from the the remix album that she did for Forever Your Girl called mm-hmm. Shut Up and Dance. Also oh another gosh. landmark moment in terms of album releases. Absolutely. Want to talk about that? Yeah. I mean, I, Shut Up and Dance. It, well. It's so tricky because all this sort of was happening very quickly, rapid yep. fire at that point. Um, but it was. You know, also just so incredible to get a reworking of these sort of hit songs that were happening and sort of get them, you know, turned right back around to you in a whole new way. So you have a song like Straight Up, which ends up being a great single. And it ends up being, you know, uh, I think, was it the first number one? Or was that the way that you love me number one? Well, I think it was Straight Up that really, really took her into I think it was the first one. I think it may have been the first one, but, um, you know, it was. Oh my gosh, the video was amazing. Arsenio Hall. And then <laughs> you have Arsenio Hall being, uh, you know, making his appearance. <laughs> and then the, all the rumors around them dating, which they finally... But that definitely to served to, to help, like, skyrocket also. The, you know, just the visibility and the, you know, the, the marketability for her. And you know, you know? the... Um, the uh, director was David Fincher. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, so didn't he direct Madonna's Vogue video? He's, he directed Madonna's Vogue video. He also directed the movie Seven. He's he flawless. also recently directed Gone Girl. Work. Um, okay. So, so yeah. he has quite a range, so but yes, a, a lot of videos. Yep, yep. Um, and he did a couple of videos. He also did the Cold Hearted video we were talking about mm-hmm. before. Which, um, yep. So there was a little bit of an early partnership there. I think a lot of people probably grew, to, were, you know, they're growing together, mm-hmm. young in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think the visuals just really defined an era for dancers across the board from choreography to costumes to everything I think it just inspired and infused that entire world well it was strong it was high contrast I mean literally high contrast you had her like half half black half white side going in and out oh doing, my gosh. putting tap dance I mean up until that point who would have thought you know Paula was inspired by people like Gene Kelly Bob Fosse Fred Astaire you know the 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 old Hollywood that she watched growing up on television she knew how to pull references yeah absolutely and yeah. repurposing it reusing it putting in her arsenal and that remixing is really what's so important I think mm-hmm. that's what that's you know when something's working really well when somebody can appreciate sort of what's been done and can riff on it and can take it to well, a different place you know that I love a remix absolutely you know that I have you know I love live and breathe for Shep Pettibone <laughs> okay Paradise Nightclub is one of my favorite places in the universe and you know at the at the, the Empress Hotel <laughs> that Shep Pettibone owns it's one of uh-huh. my favorite spots on the planet but anyway but, side note but speaking of remix though so you had like straight up come out be a number one single Single, but then yeah. you had circling back to before the Shut Up and Dance album come out, and then one of the tracks was this, you know, straight up ultimate mix, yeah. which is just hilarious. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's every kind of trick from the soundboard they could yeah, throw into yeah, that thing. Yeah. Well, um, people had just started experimenting and playing yeah. with mixing, yeah. with remixes, and they had just started to to manipulate the track in the clubs. We're going from an era where remixing used to be just sort of skipping the tape or 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 you know bopping on the record and sort of repeating things right. to now now moving into an era where we're reconstructing the track. Yeah, and there's this, a little more technology absolutely, going on. Absolutely, this went down. This went down all around that era, and you. 
you know, the funny thing, and I want to mention right here, because we need to give credit where credit is due. Before Shut Up and Dance came out, Jody Watley came out with Do You Want to Dance With Me? Uh-huh. Um, which was... Uh, uh, co-produced with Andre Simone who was Prince's best friend at the time and was uh, he was part of Prince's band and touring band prior to the revolution so it really I mean like everything always goes back to Prince Brendan (laughs) I'm telling you well it certainly does for you it's a small world but again another situation where Jody Watley sort of started a trend that she might not have necessarily gotten the credit for because everybody kind of she certainly didn't get credit well no but I'm on to her I'm on to her (laughs) literally Paul Paula, Paula really, this Shut Up and Dance was the really the first remix album to really take off the way that it did. And now we've got Jay to the LO. We've yeah. got History in the Mix, the yeah. um, you know uh, Blood on the Dance Floor. We've got Janet remixed. We've got Madonna remixed and revisited. All of you know, everybody started yeah. doing it. You know, Britney Spears, uh, you know, be in the mix. The 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 Fame remixes, but Lady Gaga, you know, everybody. But you know, Paula's was the first one to really take off. Yeah, and I think in, in that that completely fed you know a whole world of people who were searching for that kind of like dance music to use and I'm even thinking how funny it is how many you know high school dance teams did you know who had you know little routines to stuff from that collection I mean it was hilarious oh yeah totally I mean dances Uh, in my basement my first the first dance I ever did was to uh Opposites Attract by Paul Abdul. And I was like the MC Scat Cat doing like the Roger Rabbit and doing cartwheels and things like that on stage. <laughs> yep, that's how I started. That's how Vicky got her start. Well, you know what? That, that's, but that's, that's, all, that's honest. That's you. Oh. Um, <laughs> speaking of which, Go. the one other thing about Straight Up before we move on to some other eras is that um, you know the whole story about her mom and finding the song? No, no, no. So the story, I, I've like heard about this and I think there was like a video where Paula talked about this, but basically that um, her mom found this song uh, straight up it was a demo for someone else it had been sort of tossed in the trash literally mm-hmm. and um, I think that she just thought it was you know really silly when she listened to it but then Paula took a listen and you know thought there was really something there and really you know pleaded to be able to do something with this record they, they took it to um, the team she was working with to get this start with you know with this uh, with Forever Your Girl yeah yeah and, Virgin um, Records with Virgin Records exactly mm-hmm. and the team was like we're not doing that song and she made a deal with them that she she would record any two songs of their choice if they could also do straight up. Yeah. yeah, and it wound up being the one that like really people started to see Absolutely. and resonate with people. That's really interesting. And now J. Cole, to just bring it back to now this decade, you know, J. Cole all of a sudden is sampling it on his on his album and now she's back on you know dancing reality TV shows doing medleys where like it's like straight up nuts and like that's how people know straight up now oh yeah by J. Cole so let's jump to Spellbound Spellbound okay yeah. great so What's... she's still signed with Virgin Records right yep. this is the follow up to her smash debut Spellbound is la, is this uh, spring 91 era is when it comes out uh, Rush Rush is the debut single yeah I'm gonna see It's a ballad, which is like a tremendous risk for somebody, like a dancer. All of us know what it's like to go into that casting call for our vocal for a 16 bars and sing nakedly for the casting directors. And that's Rush Rush. I mean, if you want to really get... she yeah, it was have, bold. Right, totally. She Brazen. doesn't have yeah. the production and the choreography lined up. It's Paul Abdul and a microphone. But I gotta tell you, there's something about that song that takes me to a place. I mean, oh, yeah. I love it. Absolutely. Well, I don't think that you have to have, you know, it's not always about who's got the best vocal chops. It's about, you know, the layers you're adding into it. Totally. Well, uh, on that note, when this album came out, there was this whole scandal with Melly Vanelli, and all of a sudden there was a witch hunt for whoever else was not being true, you know, in the studio, vocal tracks. Everybody was looking for whoever the next Melly Vanelli scandal was going to be. And there was this whole thing that went down. We don't want to talk about it too much because I don't want to give this girl any more credit than, than you know, than she's due. But there, a woman who was accusing of co- doing co-leads with Paula and that all of a sudden it was like Paula Abdul like is that really her and I remember getting the the Spellbound album and being really skeptical at the beginning and kind of mad like I thought I had been duped Mm -hmm. but then I thought to myself I'm like okay let's be real Paula and J-Lo, similarly, on the whiteboard, mm-hmm. neither of them are the, the most virtuosic, technical, Absolutely. most fabulous singers in the world, let's be honest. But Paula has an interesting, like, is 
timber the right the right uh, I like think a, so a sort of tinny yeah. sort of sound to her timber voice timber and tones yeah or... yeah yeah it's it's interesting it's different it's different and it works really well bouncing off the synths of that time absolutely you know the Minneapolis sound but I so I was thinking to myself okay if you were gonna if you were gonna put together a sham musical act would you really choose the vocalist that did, uh, supposedly did you know would you choose Paula Abdul's right. voice to be the fake no I don't think so no I don't think so, so either we, so but we get speaking to... of controversy we should jump to the second single. Okay, yeah, absolutely. The well, second single, The Promise of a New Promise Day. Promise of a New Day. So, I everybody was dancing to Rush Rush and, and rejoicing in this in this uh, you know, uh, what's the, what's the movie that she, that she did Keanu Reeves like, was it Rebel Without a Cause? You know, Is everybody right? was all rep oh my gosh, yeah, at the end when she's, when she's oh, waving oh, the checkered oh. flag and you know, she's like, "Do you believe in love?" and he's like, yes. "Yeah, Paula." <laughs> <laughs> like in the video, do you remember that? He was in his Bill and Ted phase. Yes. So yes, everybody yes. is slow dancing to Rush Rush, and all of a sudden, Promise of a New Day comes out. I missed it. I'm always missing things. I like. <laughs> I told you, like, I grew up sitting in front of MTV, and yet somehow it was so wrapped up. How did you I miss this with the it. video? Well, right. You know, the the way I found out about the video was through In Living Color of and course. the way that they ripped on her for like they thought that by st- stretching it that she was trying to make up for some sort of like weight situation. Exactly. But I I don't know I. I can't speak to that. Well, let's just explain. So what ended up happening, for those who haven't seen the video, and you should give it a look for yourself, but in the Promise of a New Day video, it's heavily green screened. I think she was running all over the world, and they did it, you know, real quick. And, um... And basically, the, the the video is stretched. I mean, um, for whatever reason, you know, I've heard her uh, say in interviews that it was they needed to get the dancers closer together, that they were too spread out. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, but there's also plenty of shots where it's just Paula and the same effect is being used. So I thought it was a stylistic choice. Just, I mean, the same way a stylistic choice could could be some music videos are shot in squares. Do you know what I mean? So I True. thought it was a stylistic it was a bit of a fo- I think you're right. It may have been a stylistic choice purely. That being said, it was certainly very noticeable. And when you watch it, the forced perspective that the director uses and the there's some there's some choices in there that I would think an artist like her. Um, there were some red flags. Well, similarly, I mean, this is this bears speaking about dancers deal with body image issues. Dancers Absolutely. deal with being being you know uh, scrutinized and you know and looked at objectively. And so it must have been especially difficult for her. And we know that she she in the mid '90s she went through a period where she she's talked about it where she dealt with bulimia, she dealt with eating disorder, you know things like that. So I didn't really appreciate the in living color thing. I thought we could have just let it go. This I mean, was, it wasn't nice. But if you're in for a laugh and you're a Paula fan, you should watch it as long as you can, you know, say something nice when you're done. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, it did go number one. It did go number one, despite the controversy. And it was it actually fun fact. It was her last number one to date. Um, This was like think it was because of um, the controversy. No, I think (laughs) that. No, I think she was just going in a different direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. But I mean, like this was the first song also on that on that um, the follow up album Spellbound, which is beautiful. I love that album. Also, that cover. Can we talk about it? Oh, my God. Album cover is just like amazing. She goes from like red, you know, red background, all American jean jacket to like black feathers and, (laughs) and eyelashes and like compact. It is you know, like um, a true like showgirl Vegas moment. She goes it's... through. She she got the Vegas treatment. You yeah. know, she went to the makeup counter and picked up a thing or two. <laughs> it's interesting how she goes from Aquanet and she goes from like polka dots and uh-huh. like prints and shoulder pads to like now when you see her in in um, interviews and things like that, she's got the pearls on. She, her hair is really coiffed. It's I think they dyed it a shade darker. You know, she looks really, really, really old Hollywood. Very beautiful. She still has those menswear moments in the early. 90s she definitely does softened it well because like when you get to one of my favorite songs from spellbound which is vibology oh my god yes i just love But that 
video is really just an amped up version of what she'd been doing in the 80s. Totally. I mean, it's it's all the same motifs. They just added some some brighter lights and some pows <laughs> and a little bit of color. Yeah, well, um, it was a red blazer this time, right. not a black <laughs> Right, exactly. I had such a fun time with that song, dancing in my basement to that song. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, again, it was just... I, I appreciate all the Paula ballads. I really actually do. I think all of them are really pretty. Um, Blowing kisses in the wind. Oh, my God. Can we just talk about for one second we can yes. go back to Vibology? Yeah, that's fine. We're all over the place with Paula, but, Mike, there's so much ground to cover in so little time. Um, Blowing kisses in the wind. The, first of all... I want to give a little bit of background before we get out of out of Spellbound. She enlisted this team. They're called the Family Stand. Um, the, a new group of producers for this for this album. This is a, another ballad, a second ballad release in, in you know in one album. Right. And the music video, her dancing, partner dancing. She's dancing contemporary like modern jazz with this guy. You know he's in this sort of like X Men looking biker unitard knee pads. You know he's got jazz shoes on. She's got character shoes. Go. Do you think that um, she was trying to prove something by this strategy of releasing these ballads? I mean, how in t- what do you think the idea there was? I don't know. I you know. I can't I think you have a theory about it I think that an artist gets to a point in their career it becomes about longevity you know she was really going for it and trying to be taken seriously as an entertainer an all around right. entertainer but no Barbara Streisand or like you know and even now like Lady Gaga Madonna Madonna had that Sondheim moment you know like uh, versatility staying power uh, breadth of of you know selections colors to yeah. choose from what do you think I just think there also is look I think there's added pressure I think that going back to the theme of this episode, I think that when you're known and, and respected for what you do in the, in the dance space, I think that you really feel this pressure of people constantly questioning your ability to deliver on a vocal. And you sort of are like a little bit living the lie because you may have your own insecurities around your ability to deliver that vocal. And yet you're being put out there in the world to deliver. So you've got to like almost fake it till you make it. You've got to buy in. And so I think it's this blend of proving it to yourself and also proving it to the world. And I think it's very purposeful. Establishing legitimacy. Absolutely. We'll get to J-Lo in a bit, but that's been a huge theme for her. Yeah, totally. Well, I just found Blowing Kisses in the Wind haunting, beautiful. I've always wanted to recreate it. I love the imagery of the people flying in the air. It was a beautiful live performance that I saw at uh, the Under My Spell tour at Riverside Park. I'll I'll never stop talking about at my first concert ever. Um, And going back to Vibology. I think Riverside Park has appeared in all of our episodes. (laughs) It was legendary, darling. It was a speedway and there was a a concert stage in the middle of it. That's where we were at. Um, Vibology, going back to that, another great live performance. But also part of a little bit of like the downfall of Paula when she tried to do, so she was again trying to prove her legitimacy vocally this time after the Melly Vanelli scandal. So she tried to do the VMAs live that year. It was a whole drag performance. They were vibing on that whole drag thing and she wore the suit the mustache and then underneath she had the, you know the the jeweled bustier which is very big at the time a la sort of the cream video Prince of the New Power Generation Diamond and Pearl you know people didn't dig it on her I thought it was a fine performance vocally she wasn't the strongest but she was running all around that stage mm-hmm. but that was sort of like the beginning of the wind down for her do you know what I mean? And then it really was, and that didn't chart really very well. It did okay in the clubs, yeah. but it didn't really. It wasn't a commercial success. It, it didn't the way go it, straight to the, to the no. top. The dancers loved it. I mean, yes. we danced our butts off. I mean, that. and not only that. I mean, the people who geek out on. I remember um, at one point in time in a different life. You know, when I was on a Royal Caribbean uh, ship working mm-hmm. for a while, there was a, a whole show titled Vibology. I mean, it was the inspiration yeah. for an entire yeah. production show. Well, it was a few years later, 1995, that we got Head Over Heels, the last sort of like proper album treatment that we got from from Paula Abdul. Mm-hmm. We've got to close out Paula Abdul shortly, but I just want to talk a little bit about Head Over Heels. Yeah. Um, my favorite track from that, the, the one that I brought to the forefront was My Love Is For Real. Mine too. It's really the standout, I think, from that era. It was the most sort of fully realized um, moment of what she was, I think, was trying to accomplish with that. 
Yeah. The last big group dance video that we got from her before Dance Like There's No Tomorrow, but we'll get to that a little bit later. But um, this song, another haunting song, a mid-tempo song, um, and the the music video found her in really embracing – She, you know, she's a a Syrian Jew, so she's embracing her Middle Eastern roots in this really dark and bronzy, long hair, just a very harem princess, Lawrence of Arabia, and there's a lot using her – uh, choreography talents from cheerleading and things like this, experimenting in lifts and all of these different Busby Berkeley formations, you know, uh, scarf movements, you know, really, really, really going there with all with with angles and choreography in a way that like I appreciated, man, so much. About I this. did too. I mean, I think it's it's even interesting. You can sort of see why it maybe didn't connect in a in a broader way. But I forget which late night show. But there's a live performance of it from. I think a late night show or something that I've watched on YouTube many yeah. times. I yeah. forget which one it was. But um, but you sort of see it's really kind of an incredible thing to see in that kind of format. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it's something where I think you and I are saying to ourselves, oh, my God, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. And also at the same time thinking, yikes, I don't yikes. know how this is going over. Right. Well, <laughs> it's funny that we that we talk about this because this was like it could be added to the extensive list of Vicky Black Nasty performances that I performed where you know I was barefoot in a black veil and did this song and people were they, they didn't connect to it. I was right. they just didn't get it. I was living for it. And having had the opportunity to create that moment for myself was a milestone. But like there were maybe two people in the audience where they were like, honey, that was real left field do you know what I mean (laughs) you know they might say that about this podcast (laughs) (laughs) listen it's for us it's for you and me and all the nerds out there it is so now we're in the 90s we're finishing up the 90s well and just as Paula was starting to retreat a little bit and to maybe find a new way Mm -hmm. we had this emergence of a backup dancer and uh, you know a dance performer who all of a sudden was starring in a movie so do you want to make the connection between like Paula Janet Tina you know what I mean like sure go for it well uh, Tina Landon was a dancer with Paul Abdul, right? Yep. And then Tina Landon on the hired, Lakers, on the Lakers, right? And then Tina Landon hired Jennifer Lopez to be a dancer during the early part of the Janet album cycle. She was pr- featured quite prominently in the "That's the Way Love Goes" video. Yep. So that that's the sort of connection. Um, she starts out as a backup dancer, then starts doing these acting gigs. Then she gets the Selena movie. This is right after the tragic death of Selena by the the president of her fan club. Mm-hmm. You know, the murder at her hands. She stars. Jennifer Lopez stars as. And it gives a beautiful treatment to Selena. And really right? shocks the world. I mean, I think people just had no idea who this this person was and we were sort of stunned. I mean, at the time, there wasn't a great amount of um, Latina representation um, amongst actresses in Hollywood. So I think nobody probably could even fathom who was going to play that part. And then all of a sudden, this very talented person delivers a beautiful performance totally. and everyone saying, oh my gosh, who is this? She slammed it out. Yeah. She performed I Could Fall in Love at the Puerto Rico concert that she did in, I think it was 2001, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Or two. And continues to do tributes to her to this day. And is really embraced by the Latin community you know, for her way of carrying the torch. She was, Selena, they still have, in Texas, still have annual Selena uh, tribute concerts and festivals and things like that. So that's so, how we were introduced to her. That's how we, that's how we were introduced. And then, you know, from Selena, she got a few more acting gigs and she was sort of starting to establish herself as an actress and she went the other way. Not the other way, she didn't abandon acting, obviously, everyone knows this, but mm-hmm. she really did take a calculated risk in wanting to be a singer and in wanting to be a pop star and so we had you know, her come out with her debut song off of her debut album, On My Birthday, <laughs> in 1999 and that was uh, If You Had My Love. At this point, I have to say, I wasn't quite feeling her yet. I really? Was, I had a raised eyebrow with the whole situation. I was like, what's up with an act? I thought it was some sort of weird cross-pollination, cross-promotional But even after you heard trick. the song? No, I wasn't. I I want to stay positive about it, but yeah. I wasn't affected in the way that the rest of the world seemed. What really did it for me was Waiting for Tonight. Well, hold on, though, because I do want to just say about If You Had My Love, because mm-hmm. Waiting for Tonight's a whole moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
But I just think with If You Had My Love, I thought that the, you know, the Dark Child sort of vibe that was going on, it was cool. We hadn't really gotten to see someone like Jennifer Lopez sort of have a voice in this way. And um, I don't know. I remember being a kid when it came out and just being so excited. What I was connecting with If You Had My Love was connections to... Um, Billy Woodruff, the, the you know the director who does a lot of R and B videos like uh, Tony Braxton, um, sort of futuristic place that we're moving into reality television, surveillance cameras, very similar yeah. to the sort of you know the uh, Lenny Kravitz if you can't say no video but directed by Mark Romanek with the you know the video cameras, um, TLC's fan mail, you know uh, Jody Watley's uh, off the hook video, very similar, and those are the type of connections that I was making. I also loved the breakdown, the dance break, the Pablo Flores remix in the middle of it. Up until that yeah. point, not a lot of people broke into that sort of stuff. No. That drove me nuts. And then when they would play that, I used to go to underage clubs in Massachusetts. Uh-huh. They would play that. That's what I wanted to hear. Yeah. And I also really liked the Dark Child remix, which takes elements from Ni- uh, Liberian Girl by mm-hmm. Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. Really like that. So mm-hmm. that was my connection to that. But yeah. it wasn't until the next one that I really got involved. So the second single, Waiting, Waiting for, for Tonight. tonight. <laughs> Waiting for Tonight. throwback as a thank you to Tina Landon and for giving her that shot she actually had Tina Landon in the video I don't know if you remember but this is when making the video started becoming prominent a big tool in getting artists to be able to launch their their singles and getting viewers a connection off the bat with the album cycle seeing these artists at work and I remember waiting for tonight that song was a gigantic smash I was introduced it when a friend of mine asked me to create a a dance piece to it to her and I was like this is bonkers I was like I had no idea that this you know supposed singer actress could actually like could actually like tear it off the way that and she did. I'm going to tell you, I, it's not that there was none of this going on at music in the moment by any means, but I feel like it really defined an an era of sort of bringing dance, you know, electric electronic music like to the to the to the radio in a in a really fun way in that moment. Yeah, it was a house track. It yeah. was you know like the video was about the, you know the turn of the millennium. It was about new stuff coming out everywhere. It was about la- laser beams. You know what I mean? Laser beams everywhere. <laughs> well, it, and it's funny that a decade later we like revisit the same very thing. Oh, totally. And I, that always happens, I suppose. Cy- cyclical, of right? Course. Is that the word? Cyclical. Cyclical. <laughs> well, anyway, Brennan and I have a fun moment where ultimately, we finally, for the longest time, J-Lo didn't tour. We're all waiting for whenever this tour is going to happen. And finally, a couple years ago, we caught her on the Dance Again World Tour in Atlantic City, the glamorous <laughs> Atlantic City. Glamorous Atlantic City. I think it was at Boardwalk Hall. Yes, yes. Oh my gosh. And when this number came out, that's when I lost my mind. Me too. And you know what? Part of it is just for, again, the power of great choreography. Everyone knows the arm gestural movements with her back to, you know, the camera, to the audience. Mm-hmm. And every gay boy or every dancer, you know, learned those arm movements and imagine themselves being the queen, you know, Jennifer Lopez, you know, leading the tribe. Totally. Well, you know, she commands an arena and she successfully commanded the arena. And it was a really a testament to sort of through, you didn't up up until that point, have a retrospective in in uh, in such a complete concentrated form up until that live performance that we caught. So it was really like a testament to her body of work catching her. And she did she commanded the venue. And another uh, song that I want to talk about that that brings up that vibe from her is Let's Get Loud. That's such Yes, a which quint- was absolutely, which was another, you know, another single off that first album. Let's Get Loud. So, do you know with Let's Get Loud, do you know who wrote this song? Uh, I think it was, like, Gloria Estefan, Yeah, right? isn't that nuts? Yeah, and she actually recently re-recorded it for her latest album, Little Miss Havana. Yeah, and, you know, it, apparently she felt like it was uh, sort of familiar ground for her. 
for her well, listeners. She'd already done that, so she wanted to give it away to, I, uh, to a new rising star. I'm glad that she did. Me J-Lo too. took it and ran with it. I'm glad that it came full circle and that Gloria gets the credit for it. I love them both. I grew up listening to Gloria. Absolutely. Um, and her husband, Emilio, who was the producer. Exactly. But I really feel like this is like her cup of life moment. It right? was. And, you know, it was interesting. Yeah, Ricky Martin gets sort of the credit for that Grammy performance about the Latin explosion in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was right there in the same moment, and she was absolutely responsible for driving that forward and really became a, a, a source of um, – uh, or a, a point where people could rally around. Totally. Well, you know, like Enrique Iglesias was, yep. was coming out, and then even Christina Aguilera started, you know, well, she Latinizing swerved. her vowels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, she went into that. She, she went into that phase of her got career. a new wig <laughs> and, and some uh, red hair extensions, <laughs> and totally went there. But the Latin thing was just starting to come out, and she was definitely like high on the float uh, as a pro- as you know for the Latin movement. Yeah. So let's get loud was gigantic total like audience banger and it's still a song that you know if I you know hear that somewhere which I guess isn't too often but if I put it on um, <laughs> it really gets me going yeah and you're gonna catch yeah. it on ESPN you're gonna catch it yeah. on Sports Center. you're gonna catch it at the football games and like you know people turn that on and immediately they know what that song's about and they get down to it that's a success I think you yeah. can always yeah, and, it, and it transcends eras she can bring it out you know in the middle of a concert a decade and a half later and people are still gonna be like yeah this is a great song you know, she's had a lot of joyous music, too, like a lot of like fun poppy moments, you know, she's had a lot of fun poppy moments. I mean, it's interesting her. So she then had her you know, second album come out where she, you know, rebranded a little bit. All of a sudden, she's now J-Lo. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was kind of a funny, almost like a Prince moment where you weren't sure, like, is that like an official name change? Is that an album title? What are we <laughs> supposed to call you? Totally. <laughs> it was a little confusing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, one song that I loved off of that album. Album, um, and it was kind of random, not a single, was Walking on Sunshine. I love Walking on Sh- on Sunshine. That was an awesome song. I mean, song. do you remember the remix when it would come on at the club or something like that? Like, it would just take over. It was yeah. fantastic. It wasn't a single, was it? Was no, it wasn't single? a single, yeah, but, but there was, it was an album track, but they did the remix. And um, I think Diddy was heavy hand in uh, the production and also with the remix. And um, I feel like it would come on and it would just have, like, this great, strong impact. And people gave it, you know, despite being an album track, it did get... Uh, you know, reviewed and critically, you know, praised for the the energy and the spirit of that song. J Lo, that album was an interesting monster because we we're in the middle of two thousand two thousand one. Um, dance music is sort of like pop music is sort of going out a little bit and dance and dance music is turning a little bit into hip hop. Yep. You know, and it's interesting because we were talking about remix albums, the J to the L O remix album for J Lo, a lot of the remixes that we were getting from her were actually taking off bigger than the original single releases. Yes. The album itself had a lot of sort of poppy, sort of dancey, electronic-y stuff. We're talking about Play. We're talking about Ain't It Funny. We're talking about Walking on Sunshine. And these... Was Play off that album? Yeah, it was. Wow. Yeah, do you remember Play? Of I course. loved that song. I love Play, I love too. that song. That goes on the EP. Yeah. Um, but it didn't... It wasn't the smash. The, no. It, this is a situation that what, Polly wait, dealt hold on. with, Wasn't too. that a really tacky video, too, where she's like... It's uh, futuristic. It's kind futuristic. of scream She's like driving bit. or she's piloting something. Or... A, a space vehicle oh, and man. she's got like these gloves that like only cover half of her face. I thought that was interesting. She had curly hair in the video. It's really crazy when stuff like that happens. We had a moment there, and Puff Daddy had a moment, too, I think. This is around the time of producing, like, Dream and things like that. We talked about Dream in the Girl Group episode. Yeah. Where, like, he sort of had a production moment where he was spreading his wings and trying to explore sort of techno-pop, and it worked a little bit, but it didn't take off to the extent that the previous one, and and the remixes with, like, Ja Rule and things like that, one yeah. becoming large a larger part of the J-Lo legacy than the original mixes of these songs. And not to get away from the music, but you did just remind me that one of the things we've got to talk about with Jennifer Lopez and it was so funny because it was such a theme at the concert we saw Mm -hmm. in Atlantic City but she's had quite um, a history in relationships and with lovers and um, you know she's on she said she's been married several times and still publicly espouses that she you know believes in the fantasy of romance and the fantasy of being married again and what that ideal looks like which I, I think is a little strange given sort of her age and stature but maybe there's 
there's some childlike, you know, thing there. But what's interesting is that, you know, those partnerships really have often driven a lot of her musical choices. So when she's premiering and coming out as a pop act, she's partnered with Diddy, and that's heavily influencing her direction. Totally. I remember when she was going out with Diddy. Yeah. And there was that whole situation in the limo with the guns and all that business. Yeah, it was too crazy for her, and she's commented on it. It It got too out of control. Well, you know, good for her for doing what's right for her. She moved on to Chris Judd, who is such a sweetheart. Do you remember him? Of course. In the Love Don't Cost a Thing video? I was in love with him. I think he's so delicious and he's, gorgeous. He's right up your alley. They were, they, and so they were on the track together to, you know, to, to make that, you know, that big next step. Yeah. But then it got, it got cut off by, by Ben Affleck. By the big Ben. Yeah. And this is around the time of the next song that we can talk about, Jenny from the Block. From that, the follow-up to J-Lo, it was 2002's This Is Me Then. The, Which, you know, can we talk about that title? <laughs> this Is Me Then. I have no idea. I think she was <laughs> dot, dot, dot. so wrapped up in, you know, in her Gilles and her Jersey Girls. You remember they were, we were oh in Phil- Brenda gosh. and I were in Philadelphia when they were filming the, the movie Jersey Girl. And yep. it, was, uh, it was like, uh, you know, the Martians had landed. Oh, like, and every day it was a game where you'd, you know, walk by your friends and say, who spotted them today? It was a big, <laughs> you know, everyone needed to brag about the moment they caught them on Walnut Street or wherever. Well, and what you were talking about, about her relationships and things like that, I appreciated the candor that she had on this album and the risk that she t- that she took. Um, you know, she talked about the, that song, Dear Ben. It's like a, a hot, steamy love song talking about how he's perfect and there's nobody like him. And just, like, yeah. she calls out his name. I mean, like, people don't, pop stars don't do that type of name checking or that they type don't. of personal. But she is really romantically involved with these people. Well, she puts them up on stage with her in her shows, you know. Back go. to Jenny from the Block. Yeah. I mean, he was in that video. In the video. And he says it was one of the things he really, really regrets. Really? Oh, yeah. Well, that's too bad. Well, I think because, you know why? Because I think that even if what they had was something really pure and great, I do think to what you're talking about, it's fine to go and put things out there to that degree, but you do need to protect. I mean, we talked in previous episodes about, you know, a Renee Elizondo with Janet. Like, when you're a little bit too out there, it becomes very hard to have your own thing going on. I think that can can happen. So when he says that he regrets it, it might just be that he feels like the attention sort of ruined a good thing. That might be true. Maybe. Well, the music from that era was good. Listen, it was home to one of my favorite songs, which is not on on the on the list, but we I want to put it on the EP, which is uh, I'm glad I love yeah. that video. The you know the flash yeah. dance treatment. This is a great album. Lots of risks here. There was also so many throwbacks within this track, Jenny from the Block. The samples. I know this this track is kind of bananas. Yeah, go. Um, I mean, I don't even I don't have the you're the you're the data guy, so you you can you know riff on what the facts are. But the number of samples is crazy. And then secondly, it's also interesting um, thematically because she's um, frankly uh, showing off her success in a lot of ways and at the same time saying she's that same old school girl and it, it was a little bit like uh, yeah. it was a little bit of a hot moment there was some heat there kind of hilarious and like sort of revisited with the, the what is it, the fiat moment right oh my god <laughs> where it's sort of like oh you're so real and you're in LA like in your fiat yeah, yeah <laughs> you yeah, know yeah. what I mean well here we go sample throwdown can yeah. we just go there because yeah. I like the nerdy Do stuff it. Um Tons of them. Um, the intro is the uh, 20th Century Steel Band, Heaven and Hell is on Earth. It's also the the, the same uh, song that Salt and Pepper uses for that song, Heaven or Hell. Um, the flute, the ba 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 ba. That's a it's a Herbie Mann song called Hijack. Um, there's a really interesting jazz dance performance actually to that song. Oh, on really? YouTube that you can catch. Yeah, oh, it's great. really cool. Um, and the breakdown, um, like a lot of the breakbeat stuff, is uh, Boogie Down Productions, South Bronx. So she's got all of these things. Probably that she grew up with these sounds that she took gr- growing up in the Bronx on the six, on the six, and incorporating them <laughs> a la Paula. You know what I mean? Into a visual, a visceral kinesthetic yeah. production. And it's interesting. I mean, she really, she's she shifted gears in a really smart way. I mean, I think as we're sort of, you know, we're not by any means exhausted the J-Lo catalog, but I think that as we're sort of looking at what we discussed with Paula and now we're looking at J-Lo, I mean, you can sort of see where J-Lo was on course, um, sort of more in tune with what was going to resonate and hit in a, in a way that Paula just was a little not. She had, Paula had a hiccup and she wasn't really able to quite back get back on. Yeah. And J- and J-Lo stayed connected to the streets and I think that that's what that's what saved her. And always had an incredible way of balancing 
all of the different things she had going on from product lines to being an actress to being a singer to being a personality and a host. I mean, she always had enough things in the fire mm-hmm. or enough fires going, whatever the enough hell the metaphor is. Enough irons in the is. fire, yeah. Irons in the fire, Being there a we celebrity go. Had, had changed yes. during her time uh, of us enjoying and her. she's... She's delivered a master class in how to do that. Whether people like her or not, she's... Totally. She's done it up. She does it better than anyone. So I have a question for you. Yeah? Do you remember Get Right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> that was one of my favorite drag performances at QA, QA, uh, QSINY back in Staten Island. Oh my gosh. That, nobody's going to know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> and so once upon a time, Staten Island had a gay club or had you know one of the many ones that it had. It, it's since closed. But you know, the, one of my sort of Vicky's list of performances that I love that maybe not as, everybody necessarily got. But that song has always been close to me because it came out in 2005. The album was Rebirth. Um, it was it was supposed to have been an Usher song, but then it got repurposed for her. Um, but anyway, it was what it was right while we were graduating. We were auditioning in New York. I was coming to New York a lot. You know, the video was this crowded bar. She's in all these different personas. And I've when I was starting to come to New York, I was hearing this song blaring out of cars going by in the streets. I was hearing it coming out of clubs. That infectious. Uh, saxophone sample, yep. you know, look, Vibology, the saxophone sample. Yep. And now we've got Ariana Grande with the saxophone sample. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like that, that uh, Lady Gaga, the edge of glory. I was going to say, I was about to say Lady Gaga, you took the words out of the mouth. Yeah, yeah. It, something about that. It's just like hot on the street, saxophone. It all comes back, but you know what's interesting too is that they're all very different interpretations. I mean, it's the true. vibe is really different. It's the Vibology. True. The Vibology <laughs> is different. Well, the Vibology for me was about like growth. I'm coming to the city. You know what I mean? Like, you know, what strutting down the street to, to get right. I mean, yeah. that was that was my downstage strut, as there you we go. like to say. So, I down mean, the sidewalk. Yeah, I mean, Rich Harrison was the producer of that track. Do you know Rich Harrison? No. Okay. Or maybe I do, but tell me. Well, he did most of, um, most if not all of Beyonce's B-Day album. Oh, he did which is... I think fantastic. A smash, a it's smash. Cohesive, really good. Yeah, yeah. Of, of her work, it's. I think it's totally. Amazing. Well, it's about his percussion. The name of the style of the percussion is called go-go. Mm-hmm. It's a Baltimore-based sound. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also found in Amory's One Thing. He did, oh my gosh, he did One that, Thing for Amory. Which sounds just like that, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, Crazy in Love, you know, like he produced that track. Yep. Um, he's worked with Tony Braxton, Missy Elliott, Mary J. Blige, Pussycat Dolls, his own group, Rich Girl. Um, he Ain't With Me Now, though. I looked that song up. It's fire. All right. Um, the whole B-Day album and abandoned tracks from the J-Lo era. Okay. So Janet around the J-Lo area, this is when, this is when Beyonce was just starting to blow up. Um, Janet was working with Rich Harrison for the J-Lo project and I think she might have put it down because that turned out to be Beyonce's sound and she went in the Kanye direction yep. you know with uh, with uh, I Want You and things like that anyway Rich Harrison mad about this guy he produced Get Right like I said it was supposed to be an Usher track um, it was originally called Ride and it was from the Confessions era which I really liked the Confessions album from Usher do you remember yeah, that? yeah of course Usher opened for Janet and Honey, I was there. Tour. I was. You may have been at River, wherever. I was at the <laughs> Nissan Pavilion in, Holla. in Virginia. In Virginia. In Virginia. Um, <laughs> you know. So, just looking at our chronology, one thing that's interesting is as this sort of you know rise of you know J Lo as pop icon is happening, we have Paula Abdul being brought back to the forefront with this little show at the time called American Idol that we yeah. know took off. You know, and that was really a way for Paula to reintroduce herself to audiences and to. Um, really get some credit for being the the pop star she is. And if we speed through that timeline, by the end of her years at American Idol, we did get a a new single from her. Yeah. Uh, The name of the single, Smash, produced by Randy Jackson from Randy Jackson's album. Uh, It's called Dance Like There's No Tomorrow. Uh, came out on January 18th, 2008. Going back to the synth pop, you you 
utilizing the weird, tinny sort of quality, you know. And really all of the great classic stuff that she's given you before. I mean, I think that track is hot. That I track is hot. It. I can remember dancing on the on the uh, turntable stage in mannequins on Pleasure Island in, in Disney when I was <laughs> when I was working a cruise ship job, and the remix of that Who track came on. <laughs> and it was about dance like there's no tomorrow, and we did. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the one thing that was a, a bit of a bummer there, and again, why she just to our point before could never get right back on the horse, the you know, in, in the best way is you know, even with that track, it was a, it was a good song, and the video had all the elements. She could still show that she could dance, but it was like too clean and it was too um, antiseptic almost it just didn't have that level of punch that you'd really want to really bring her career back well didn't she have that pre like Super Bowl performance where she did dance like there's no tomorrow with her group yes and it had the cheerleader elements to it and almost felt it did have a bit of a pre-show you know it was really tough reintroducing Paula in such a way we were getting used to her as being this sort of like nice girl sort of ditzy TV star with the coke you know the coke can in front of her do you <laughs> know, know where you were going with that? <laughs> with a Coke can in front of her, Brenton. And, um, a and Coke then can we, in front and, and a sorry, pill popped in the back. Stop it. Stop it. We're not going there. It's not that type of show. Anyway, it was difficult to re-usher her in and to say, everybody, hey, America, guess what? Before you met Paula Abdul like this, she was taking the world by storm. She was head-to-head with Janet and Madonna. Absolutely, but so then you have Paula going down this American Idol path and trying to figure it out and sort of not doing it great. And then you have Jennifer Lopez once again (laughs) swooping in, takes over on American Idol, and yet is able to still balance and produce hit after hit, still be in films and manage this, uh, you know, being a personality. So it's, it's really interesting, and I think that, you know, Overall, for both, it sort of speaks to an adaptability that dancers have to dive into a situation and be successful. But um, Jennifer Lopez has the right team, that's totally. for sure. Well, it's true. And like, yeah, like like you said, they're both totally connected through this American Idol, you know, anthology. I just want to say a little bit bef- uh, about Paula before we go back to yes. JLo. The connection is Cara Diaguardi. The connection is yes. writing, spinning around for Kylie Minogue yes. from her from Kylie Minogue's sort of comeback album experience. God, can we get a moment for Cara Diaguardi? Yeah. I mean, that's that's like a name that is a blast from the she, past. Her and Paula met by chance yeah. right after Paula got dropped from her label. They're they're talking in a cafe. Paula like r- starts writing songs with her. Um, they give one of them to Kylie Minogue, and then interestingly, the song. Um, uh, I'm just here for the music, which she also performed on American Idol, yep. was going to be on a Kylie Minogue album. Yep. So Paula, you know, like 360 degrees right there. Paula's now performing that. Do you know what I'm saying? But that was sort of the connection, bringing her back. And, then we, you know, and then after it didn't catch as much fire. Dance Like There's No Tomorrow didn't really catch a lot of fire. But people sort of said, oh, wow, is there going to be a new Paula Abdul album? Right. And the follow up was I'm just here for the music. And it didn't ignite the way that they wanted it to. No. So it looked like... Like the project was abandoned. Paula has found herself at the helm of a lot of abandoned projects, and I feel I so bad for that. But JLo, on the other hand, JLo, on going. the other hand, kept going. And I mean, we've got a lot of great stuff that we could talk about. I mean, she went through the whole Mark Anthony era. There's, you know, the Spanish language album, which mm-hmm. I'm personally not as familiar with. I don't know if you are. Nor am I, but the other album that she came out during that era was 2007's Brave. Yep. Which the big single from that album was Do It Well. But yep. I, my personal favorite was Hold It, Don't Drop It. This is around the time of Britney's blackout era. You know, oh, Justin yeah. Timberlake was just coming out. Still really urban dance themed, you know, R&B themed It was. Vibe. We've sort of gone through this urban trend of, you know, her going through that J-Lo album and This Is Me Then. And then that Brave album started to circle, the dial started to circle back to uh, a little bit more of the dance vibe. Listen, I thought that this album was really underrated. I love Stay Together. I love um, Gotta Be There with a sample of the Michael Jackson, you know, vocal. Um, Corey Rooney produced a lot of these songs on this album. Tons of J-Lo songs, If You Have My Love. Too late, um, feeling so good. He he did Mary J. Blige's "Real Love." He did Allure's "All Cried Out" with Mariah Carey. Mariah <laughs> Carey's "The Roof," which that song is like one of my all time favorites. We'll get to her Totes. and Blacks bring it all to me. This dude Corey Rooney has had has been at the helm of a lot of smashes. Yeah, the moment. Um, so hold it, don't drop it. Samples Tavares's. Um, it only takes a minute. Do you know Tavares? 
I did your Did your dads have the Saturday Night Fever album? No. Do you know that, that song, like More Than a Woman? Of course I know More Than a Woman. So the Bee Gees wrote More Than yeah. a Woman, but Tavares yes. and the Bee Gees performed it on the album. Got it. Okay. So it, funny, funny VBN story. Uh, th- I sung More Than a Woman for my audition for Priscilla, Queen of the Desert in New York. <laughs> like Mimi, I'm first and, you know, Flotilla DeBarge and all these famous drag queens. I ran around the room singing More Than a Woman by Tavares. And immediately after I came out of the room, the casting director came out and said, by the way, all you need to do is just stand there and sing the song. There's no need to run around. So that was my sort of like little Tavares More Than a Woman. That was your read. You didn't get the gig. I was red. Yeah, I was red. But Hold It, Don't Drop It was another song that I did, that I performed. I love that song. It's a great one. Disco. Her it's a coming great pregnant and, and also her coming down on the disco ball. Yeah. And it's it's of mention that she went through this whole James Brown um, era that she did at the uh, Dance Again World Tour where she did Hold It, Don't Drop It. She did... Um, she had a whole great series. Well, wasn't that also part of the series that Poppy was in? Yep, yep, yep. She had the coat. Yeah. Um... Harkening back to the James Brown thing, you know, she's fainting, all that business. I love that. She actually played that pretty well. I agree. I agree. Six years after the release of the song, we got the performance for it. I never got to see it before then. How about moving into her recent dance success to close us out? Well, yeah, I mean, I think to close us out, again, just speaking to her adaptability, she has had some albums come out. She had the um, 2011 album, Love. Isn't that from 2011? Yeah. And then also more recently, AKA. But in the meantime, she's really strategically been focused on dance singles and dance because that was sort of the commercial focus um, but really just dropping singles that were going to blow up she could do a cute little promotional tour and keep on moving a lot of artists when they're trying to maintain they take it back to the dance floor it's always a place to go Madonna you know her longevity all of those number ones it's like you know Michael Jackson after history in the R&B trying to come out with a remix album keeping everybody dancing designing a decade you know what I mean like keeping people on dance floor so there's a bunch of those is there one of those like inner in betweeners those standalones that really speaks to you um god i really loved can we talk about trouble like as we're closing out I, sure th- for me i know this is another track seven but i want to talk this about is from this. the aka album yeah, right this is from aka her latest offering it's not even an you album track it's a bonus track okay the album dropped in 2014 the sample is is that that saxophone sample of tom scott's cover of today by jefferson airplane it's used similarly in uh, uh, I, you might remember this Pete Rock and CL Smooth song. It's called They Reminisce Over You, T-R-O-Y. It's that part, okay, right there, which that song itself is uh, It's inspired by the death of Troy Dixon of Heavy D and the Boys. He was a dancer with Heavy D and the Boys. So they wrote that song about him. Tying it all into In Living Color, Heavy D and the Boys closely connected. Heavy D wrote the theme song for In Living Color. J Lo wow. used to be a fly girl on In Living Color. Yeah. When I hear this song, I see all of those eras line up, coming together, li- stack up. I mean, J Lo closing out here as a fly girl, watching her every single. It used to be on Sunday nights, yep. right? Those girls in combat boots and flowers in their hair with pearl earrings and like business suits and, and things like that, choreographed by Lo- Ro- uh, Rosie Perez. Yep. Barry Lather, his wife was one of the fly girls. Barry Lather choreographed um, the Pleasure Principle video. Yep. Uh, worked with Paula Abdul. Um, I worked with Barry Lather on a tour <laughs> a million years ago. He's awesome and incredible. Paula, you know, like, it's all, all connected. You're right in the mix, Vicky. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you, Brad. <laughs> um, anyway. No, no, it's the truth. I mean, look, I, I think, I think when you look at all of this it, it, and you put it all together, it really is kind of powerful how you can seize an opportunity and really do something pretty outstanding. And um, these, you know, two specific dancer singers um, knocked it out of the park. And you know, Paula may be, you know, not at, at her best today, <laughs> but we're certain we we feel the nostalgia and we appreciate. Well, we're celebrating her legacy and we're celebrating the legacy of these dancers that have had a profound impact. I mean, on us as as men, as dancers, as LGBT members of the community. As <laughs> what, what, what word was that? <laughs> LGBT? LMNOP members of the community, girl! Um... <laughs> <laughs> 
One of the other things I think with with both of these dancer singers is that I think dancers really understand how to deliver a performance and how to connect to an audience and getting to see them live. It's the full package. So sometimes, yes, we talked about earlier, it might not be the most stunning voice you've ever heard, but you're getting an experience that I think is just unmatched. You're getting people who know how to entertain, who know what it means to, you know, just to, to, to be out there full out. Dancers get it. Get it. Got it. Good. Hasta luego. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> That's for sure. Brendan, this has been a blast. Oh my gosh. I could go on and on with both of these people. Um, and I'm sure we will. So more to come. Lots more more to fun come. to be had. And uh, I don't know. We'll see you soon. Mwah. Mwah. Bye. If you like our show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are hot. And if you really like our show, we'd love a rating and a review. You can find us on Twitter at Back on Track Show, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and all of your favorite ways of time. <laughs> we love to hear from you. Don't forget to follow us on Spotify and check out all of our Mixtape playlists. And if you're outraged that your favorite track didn't make the list, visit us at www.backontrackshow.com and let us have it. You know, we'll tell you what we think, honey. All right, we're done. Peace.